Okay, Luke 17. You've forgotten we haven't looked at Luke since before Thanksgiving. Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. He's got just a couple of weeks of his life left. There's a huge crowd with him, some who love him, some who hate him, many who are in between. And the theme is what does it look like to follow him? He's, we've been on this for the entire fall. That's the theme of this journey since Luke 13. Jesus has been saying, here's what it looks like to follow me. Particularly, here's what it looks like to follow me when I'm no longer here. Today we're going to look at, uh, there's a new element of this, and it's the, the arrival of the kingdom of God. So that's what we're talking about today. The arrival of the king and the arrival of his kingdom. So chapter 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Your Bible may say the kingdom of God is among you. So, first thing, we need to get a grasp on the kingdom of God. It's a huge concept. The central element of Jesus' teaching is repent. The kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of heaven is the way Matthew says those things are synonymous. We've got to get that. That was the heart of Jesus' teaching, but it's difficult, I think, to grab onto it. The kingdom of God is an abstract concept. When I think kingdom, I think of lines on a map. The kingdom of Saudi Arabia or the United Kingdom. I think of dirt, of territory. And there is some of that in the Bible for sure. There's a place where uh, there's there's a realm element for sure, but primarily... When you see the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, think rule or reign of God. Don't think dirt. Don't think of a map. Don't think of geography. Think rule and reign. I think the easiest way to see it for me is the way Jesus wraps it up in the Lord's Prayer. Pray your king, we're praying, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So for me, when I'm thinking of the kingdom of God, I'm thinking of God's will being done, God's will being executed as, as, as fully as possible on earth. So for instance, we know God is for reconciliation. So if you're estranged or isolated or alienated from somebody and you choose to forgive or to seek forgiveness, if you move towards reconciliation, that's an expression of the rule and reign of God. God's will is reconciliation and we choose to forgive, both extend and receive forgiveness. That's an expression of the kingdom of God. That's God's God's ruling and reigning in that relationship. We can see in Jesus' ministry, healing, that's an expression of the kingdom of God. God is for wholeness. He's for healing. That's his will. And so every time we see somebody healed, we can say, oh, the will of God is being carried out there. That's that's an expression of the rule and the reign of God. So try to keep that in mind. I know that can be a little ambiguous, nebulous, but try to grab onto that. It's important if you're going to go along with Jesus that we grab onto what is the kingdom of God because it's a central thing he wants us to. To be about. So the Pharisees are saying, all right, Jesus, for three years you've been saying the kingdom of God is near. We haven't seen anything. Is, is now the time? You're moving towards Jer- Jerusalem. That's the, the center of our nation. Are you finally going to do something? You have this huge throng. Thousands and thousands of people are with you. Are you going to finally put up or shut up? What, what, what are we doing here? And Jesus' response is, y'all missed it. Completely. The kingdom of God doesn't come from careful observation. You're not looking for signs. You can't read the tea leaves for the coming of the kingdom of God. What the Pharisees are thinking is when the kingdom of God comes, the Messiah will appear. All of the enemies of Israel will be overthrown and Jerusalem will be restored as this kind of basically international superpower. The people, the Jewish people will once again kind of be at the top of the heap. And everyone who's opposed them, those are the enemies of God, will all be 
uh, run over, and the Messiah is going to be the one who leads that charge. And so these Pharisees are saying, you've been going around for three years teaching that the kingdom is near, and you've done some great individual miracles and signs, but these things have not happened. Our political reality is exactly what it was when you started. We're still living under this oppressive pagan Roman rule. When, when is the kingdom going to come? When is the rule and reign of God going to arrive on the earth? Because we have not seen it yet. And Jesus' response is, it's easy to miss. You're not going to be able to see it, but there, there's not going to be signs. It's not going to be obvious. It's not going to be overt. It's not going to be disruptive. It's not going to be devastating for the enemies of God. God, Jesus had actually been preparing them for this. They didn't get it. If you go back and look at the parables in particular, Jesus is trying to rework their understanding of what the kingdom is. They, they had this picture in their mind for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is what it looks like when the kingdom arrives. And Jesus has spent three years trying to rewrite that script for them, trying to rework the story. Here's some things from Matthew 13. They say the kingdom of God is going to be disruptive. If there were news cameras, that they would be there. It would be front page news on every newspaper in the world. And Jesus says, no, it's a mustard seed. Planting a seed is not disruptive. Planting a tree, absolutely. Planting a seed, not at all. It's not going to be disruptive. It's going to be obvious and overt. Everybody's going to know that the kingdom has arrived. And Jesus says, no, it's like yeast working in dough. You can't even see it. You can see the effects on the back end, but you can't see it working in the midst of the process. It's going to be devastating for God's enemies. They're going to be wiped out. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to know. And Jesus says, no, it's like weed, weeds and wheat growing up together. Sometimes you won't even be able to tell the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And that stuff won't be separated for a while. They're going to grow up together. He's trying to reorient uh, their understanding of what it means for the kingdom of God to arrive on the earth. And he says to them, you've, you've actually missed it. The kingdom of God is already among you or already in your midst. Every time, a great example, every time Jesus drives out a demon, that's an expression of the rule and reign of God. He's driving back the kingdom of darkness and establishing the kingdom of light. He's showing, hey, I'm stronger than this enemy who's been occupying territory. He actually says in Matthew, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The, the rule and reign of God is breaking in on the earth. And here's some evidence of that as I'm overthrowing this enemy occupation, this one who's been holding you hostage. Verse 22. Then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. So the Pharisees and the disciples are all in the mix. But now he's addressing his disciples specifically. The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, here, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running off after them. Let the son of, excuse me, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. 
Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they ask, he said, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. So he said to the Pharisees, the kingdom is easy to miss. In fact, y'all already missed it. And then he turns to his disciples because what they're hearing, oh, the kingdom of God has arrived. It's rainbows and butterflies for us from now on. All of the bad things are going to be done away with. And Jesus is going to rule. They actually, one of their moms, James and John's, James and John's mom, asks in a couple of days, hey, when you enter your kingdom, can one of my boys sit on your left and can one of my boys sit on your right? Their idea is, that, okay, this is what we've been waiting for. We've, lined our, we've backed the right horse. We're lined up with the right guy. And once he establishes the kingdom, we're going we're gonna to be princes. They think that's what they're entering. And Jesus says, time out. Hold on. The time is coming pretty soon when you are going to be desperate to see the kingdom of God arrive on the earth. Now, he's just said the kingdom of God has already arrived on the earth. And now he's looking at his disciples and saying, there's going to be a day when you're going to be desperate for the king to come, for the kingdom to arrive on the earth. Those things seem to be contradictory. We'll talk about that in a moment. When you read Son of Man, this is what I want you thinking about. This is from Daniel 7. In my vision, that's Daniel. I look, there before me was one like the Son of Man. There's your term. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus talks about the Son of Man, this is what everybody hears. Everybody's waiting on this guy to come. That's the Messiah. That's the king. And you can see he gets to reign forever. He's given authority by God to rule and reign forever. And so when Jesus talks about the Son of Man, that's what everybody's thinking about right there. And so he's already said to the Pharisees, y'all have missed the arrival of the kingdom. Now he says to his disciples, you're going to be waiting. You're going to be desperate for the king to bring his kingdom because things are going to be really bad for you. There's going to be a time of suffering, a time of trial, tribulation, distress. And in that moment, you're going to be tempted to go chasing ghosts, to go running after rumors. People are going to say the king is here, the king is here. You don't believe any of that. You can't miss him. It was easy to miss the coming of the kingdom. It's going to be impossible to miss the arrival of the king. Just like you can't miss lightning in the sky, you're not going to miss when the king comes. Now, first, he says to them, the king has to suffer. They don't have a box for that. That's why it's confusing for them. They get this as the Messiah. What they don't get is Isaiah 53. You can go and read that, the suffering servant. There's no box for that. The Messiah, yes, as a conquering king. The Messiah as one who is going to be cursed and die. Nope, we don't have a place for that in our minds. That doesn't compute. And so that's why they, they miss that completely until after Jesus' resurrection. But he reminds them again, I'm going to have to suffer. Before you see this, I'm going to have to suffer first. But don't worry. The, king, the kingdom was easy to miss. The return of the king or the arrival of the king is going to be impossible to miss. But then he also says, even though it's going to be unmistakable, it's also going to be unexpected. And he gives them a couple of Old Testament examples. You remember In the days of Noah, everybody's just doing their thing. They're just living life. Noah's building a big ark, and they're just living their life. And then all of a sudden, it starts raining, 
and the flood destroys them all. That's what it says, destroys them all. Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. Everything, they're just living their life, building, planting, buying, selling. And then all of a sudden, one day, Lot leaves, and it literally rains fire from heaven, burns them all up, destroys them all. He says, don't be like Lot's wife. You may remember that. They're running away, and she looks back at what's going on, and she turns into a pillar of salt. That's a hard one for you. Just, we just said fire is raining down from heaven. So if that's happening, turning someone into salt is probably not that big a deal either. So that's what he's, don't do that. You've got to, what he's saying to them is, it's going to be unexpected, but you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. She wasn't ready. Her heart was still torn. She was, whatever it was, she wasn't, she wasn't ready for what was happening. And he says to them, you have got to be ready. My, the return of the king will be unmistakable like lightning, and it's also going to be unexpected, like the flood, like fire from heaven in Sodom and Gomorrah's day. It's going to be, if you're on your roof and you see an army approaching your city, you don't have time to go pack a suitcase. You've got to get out of there. It's too late once you see the army. You've got to get gone. He says there's, it's like if there's two people. This isn't a rapture passage. It's a judgment passage. There's two people. And they, everything looks the same about them. They're both sleeping or they're both grinding grain, but one is ready and one is not. And the one who's ready is spared judgment and the one who's not has to face it. And by the time they see the king returning, it's too late to make the choice. At that point, the sheep and the goats are separated. The weed and the wheats are separated. The good fish and the bad fish are separated. Once you see him, it's too late to respond to him. That's what all of those things are saying. That's nothing about being raptured before a tribulation. You may believe that. That's fine, but that's not here. This is during difficult times. There will be days when you long to see the king come. And when you see him, at that point, it's too late to respond to him. You were either ready or you weren't. His, his coming will be unexpected, but we can still be prepared. That's what Jesus is teaching. You can still be prepared, but you're not going to be able to make predictions. You're not going to be able to read tea leaves. It wipes out half of the books at the bookstore. You can't, there are no signs. They're not there. He says clearly, the kingdom of God does not come by careful observation. Literally, does not come by watching for signs. It's pointless. I don't care what the moon looks like. I don't care what the headlines of the paper say. Those things aren't an indication of anything. What he says is, but when I come, you'll know. Don't worry, you're not going to miss anything. Nobody's got to tweet it to you. You'll know. And you need to be ready because when I show back up, the decision will that that's coming to bring judgment. At that point, it'll be too late to respond. You can't pack your bags at that point. So how do we get ready? This is uh, chapter 18. Then Jesus told his, par- his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. So that's the point of this parable. Always pray, don't give up. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So the two greatest commandments, love God and love people, he does neither. So he's a jerk. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this, excuse me, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. 
Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus has just said, the coming of the kingdom, easy to miss. The coming of the king, impossible to miss. But it's going to be unexpected, which can make people get nervous. His disciples may start going, hey, what? Like they say, how are we going to know? And he gives this cryptic response. Well, if there's, when you see vultures circling, you know there's something dead. And so he's saying, like, you'll know. Don't worry. And I think they're still going, uh, how do we, there's some nervousness there. And there may be for us as well. If by the time we see him again, it's too late to respond, how can I be ready for that? And he says very simply, you always pray and you don't give up. There are other things. He's shorthanding it. Always pray and don't give up. And those are the takeaways for us. Always pray and don't give up. Always pray first. So what this widow, here's a, here's a picture. We've got a judge, top of the food chain, widow, bottom. No, she's got no power. He's got tons of power. But her persistence, continuing to go to this judge, eventually he responds positively to her. And what Jesus is saying is, if a wicked judge who doesn't love God or people will eventually respond to a widow who has no power, who has no pull, who has no money, who has no status, if he will eventually give her what she wants, how much more will your good father in heaven respond to you? He's saying, if this wicked man responds to this woman, how much more will your father respond to you, his sons and his daughters? You're going to get justice, he says. And so he says, always pray. What do we pray? I think you look back at the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, that's not necessarily a prayer that's uh, regular for us, I think. Maybe if you were honest, you'd say, I don't really pray that prayer a whole lot. I don't necessarily ask for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on a regular basis. That's probably because our lives are pretty good. Most of us don't live constantly under suffering and under struggling and under difficulty. And so we're not necessarily desperate for the king to come and make everything right. If that's what happens when the king comes, if he makes everything right, we're not necessarily living in a place where we feel that on a daily basis, maybe periodically, sporadically, but not on a daily basis. If there were, we lived in other parts of the world, we may be desperate for the kingdom come, to come. We live under a corrupt government or where people are being kidnapped or murdered or their stuff is being stolen. That happens to Christians all around the world because they're Christians. We may be saying, God, we need your kingdom to come. We need your king to come and make all this stuff right. Not necessarily where we live. So here's one challenge for you. Try to incorporate that into your prayer life. And I want you to do it specifically in this way. Um, I want you to think about when I say, where are you planted? What comes to your mind? Don't say it out loud. Just what comes to your mind? Where are you planted? You may think of people. Uh, people may have come to your mind. Maybe your family or uh, maybe um, a city comes to your mind. Maybe you think Marietta or Kennesaw. Maybe your business. Maybe a, a sector of our society. You think of the government or something like that. When I say, where are you planted, what comes to your mind? And now I want you to think about what would it look like if you always prayed. So if you prayed regularly for God's kingdom to come into whatever that area is. If you're thinking about relationships or circumstances, whatever, it's physical or spiritual, whatever the, that place is where you would say, I'm planted. If you began to daily, that's maybe too much, three times a week, if you said, 
God, what does it look like for your kingdom to come? What would change? God, I want you to rule and reign in this area. Nothing that you're thinking of is perfect. God is not ruling and reigning in that area the way he is in heaven, which is fully and completely. He's just, he's not. And so what would it look like to say, God, I want you to see that as much as possible before I die or you come back. What does it look like, God, for you to rule and reign? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, always pray that. When I come back, am I going to see people asking for that? When the king returns, is he going to return to people who've been asking for him to return? That's what he's looking for. And so my question is, will you be one of those? And never give up. That's what you do in between the praying. Don't lose heart. That's what that literally means. It's not rote. It's not robotic. It's not mechanical. It's not I'm going to pray this these same ten words every day and somehow God responds because I wear them out because I'm praying the same ten words every day. Jesus says in Matthew, pagans think that. They think God, they think their prayers are answered because they babble on, because of the number of words they use. That's not true. God is looking for faith. He responds to faith. He doesn't respond to eloquence. He doesn't respond to volume. He doesn't respond to vocabulary. He responds to faith. What he's saying is... Will you not give up? Will you not lose heart? Will you be one of the ones who continues to come back? Think about this lady. She continued to knock on this judge's door day after day or week after week. She's thinking, my case is just, and this is his job to respond. For us, we're not asking God to respond because it's his job. We're pulling on his character because you're just and because you're righteous and because you're holy and because you're kind and because you're good and because you're loving and because you're compassionate and because you're powerful and because you said so that you would do these things. That's what you're pulling on when you continue to go back time after time. You don't lose heart. You don't become a robot who just says the same thing to say, I'm praying without giving up. But you continue to knock and say, God, I'm Every time I pray, I'm expecting, you to, I'm expecting things to change. I'm expecting you to step into whatever that thing was that you thought about. I'm expecting you to rule and reign more and more than you did yesterday and last week and last month. Difficult to do that. Here's your takeaway. Here's how the Jews saw history. Kingdom of this world is bad. The king comes and everything on the right side of the arrow is good. That's what they think. That's, kind of, that's oversimplification, but that's the general idea. They're looking for the arrival of the king or the kingdom. If you read the Old Testament, it's called the day of the Lord. It's not a 24-hour day. It's this period of time, very decisive, where everything changes. Rome is overthrown. Jerusalem is elevated. Bad guys are wiped out. Good guys get to rule and reign. That's what they're looking for. Jesus' view of history is much more complicated. This is what he teaches. They don't get it until after. That's why what we just read, it's like, you said the kingdom's already come and we've missed it, but the king is coming again and we can't miss it. Like, how does that work? It's because there's two different arrivals. He comes in phases or stages, if you like that better. The first coming's already happened. It's Christmas. That's already happened. He came and it was easy to miss him. And it was easy to miss the arrival of his kingdom. It was mustard seeds. It was leaven. It's wheat and tares, wheat and weeds growing up together. He comes as a savior, not as a judge. He comes to seek and save the lost, create opportunities for people to respond to him. He comes as a suffering servant, not as this triumphing, conquering king. 
But then he also says, I'm coming back. And it's going to be unmistakable. And it's going to be undeniable. Yes, it's going to be unexpected, but everybody's going to know. And at that point, everybody's bowing. Either because they want to or because they have to. And at that point, I'm coming back to judge the wicked. And I'm coming back to vindicate the righteous. And it has nothing to do with content, with conduct, and everything to do with your relationship with him. That's how righteousness and wickedness is determined. And it's going to be too late when we see him again, Revelation 19, on this white horse. At that point, it's a done deal. And so we live, and you've got to get this. I would encourage you to. I'm going to tell you what to do. You've, we've got to figure this out, the green. That's where we live. We live in this transition period between first arrival and second arrival. And so we live with the consequences of a fallen, sinful world. And we can experience the benefits of the rule and reign of God. And those things collide in our lives. And we live in the push and the pull and the tension and the swirl of all of that. And so we struggle and we get sick and people die and prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be. And people are healed and people are saved and we see victory and triumph. All of that stuff is smashed together. And that is where you live and that is where you will live until Jesus returns or you die. That's it. It's been the same since Acts chapter 1. And it is still the same until Revelation 19. That is where we live. And we've got to figure out how do I navigate through that. We, have this, we don't like tension. It's natural for us to try to resolve tension. It is hard to live that way. The Pharisees' idea is way easier. Let it be a clear line in the sand where everything was bad and now everything is good. Where either nobody gets healed or everybody gets healed. But that's not where we live. We live in this fuzzy green it creates tension in us, and our natural tendency is to try to alleviate that tension. And so we do one of two things. We either say it's all going to burn. It's going to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket, and we don't care. That's not our responsibility. Let's pull out as many souls as we can who can go with us. But this whole thing's going to burn. And so we don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. God's kingdom coming is not going to come. That's what we say. It's not going to come till after Jesus returns. It's not going to get better. You don't need to spend a whole lot of time trying to see these God working in that way. We just need to save as many souls as we can. The other end of the spectrum, every Christian should be rich and every Christian should be happy and healthy and everything we ask for, even a private jet, we ought to get that too. Those are the two ways we try to resolve. We're either fatalistic or triumphalistic. Because we want to resolve the tension of already and not yet, of, of effects of the fall and benefits of the kingdom coming. And so rather than living in that tension, which is very difficult, we tend to fall one way or the other. We pray and things don't work. And so a lot we shift and say, well, God just doesn't answer those kinds of prayers or God doesn't work or whatever those things are. Or with an optimistic sense, we say anything we believe we can achieve and we just need more faith and neither one of those things is biblical he says you got to live in the middle of this transition i think about peter and james two of the top two of the three inner circle peter james and john james gets arrested and gets his head cut off peter gets arrested and gets miraculously delivered from prison why 
Why one and not the other? Why not both? Our tendency is to say either let them both get their heads cut off or deliver them both. But don't do don't no, why differences create struggle for us. Did you like Peter better? Did people did more people pray for Peter? Did they pray harder? Like what what is that? It's not resolved in the Bible at all. It's not even commented on at all. And that's where we live. How come she got healed and he didn't? They both had cancer. I don't get it. I don't, I'm, I don't get it. And we don't get to get it. But that's where we live in this tension of in between the first arrival of the kingdom, which is easy to miss, and the second arrival, which will be impossible to miss. Between the first arrival of the king as a suffering servant where he throws open the door and says, anyone who wants to respond to me can. And when he comes again and says, it's too late. The decision that you made is now final. We live in between this first coming where we see these inbreak, we see hints of what it'll be like when God rules and reigns perfectly. But we still have to deal with the thorns and the briars of the fall. And again, our tendency because we don't like living in tension, is to pick one or the other. And I want to strongly encourage you, don't do that. We talked last week that God gives a promise, and then he says, fight for it. This is how you fight. You always pray, and you don't give up. That's what fighting looks like. It looks like saying, God, I don't get it. I'm angry. Or I'm frustrated. I want to quit. Don't. What he wants to know. Will there be people asking for me to come back when I come back? Will there be people who are saying, we want to see you ruling and reigning as much as possible? Will there be people asking me to do that? Will there be people continuing to put their heart out there, not just their words, their hearts out there to be disappointed, to be confused, to be frustrated, and to see wonderful responses? Is that what I'm going to find when I come back, you got to learn how to wait. Here's just a quick example. Four people who had to wait. And my, my thinking for why. You don't have to agree. Abraham and Sarah, 25 years for Isaac. I think, why do they have to wait? You're going to have a son. Well, just give them one. Why wait 25 years? It's not hard. I think it's for God's glory. Let's wait until Abraham is so far past being able to have children. And Sarah is so far being pay, able to... Uh, past being able to have children. And they've been married for 75 years. And so if they were going to have a kid, they'd have had one at that point. Let's make it plain to everybody who knows that they are incapable of conceiving. And they are past the point where they could do that. And then let's give them a baby. So everybody knows the source. For you, you're living in that green. God, I want to see your kingdom come, whatever that thing was that you were thinking about. I want to see your will done, whatever that area was you were thinking about. Why isn't it happening? What if it's not happening? It's for his glory. Let's just wait. Let's make sure that when it does happen, when he does respond, everybody knows it was because of him and not because of you or anything else. David, 15 years from when he's anointed to be king to when he actually sits on the throne. Who here is under 30? Anybody? A few of y'all? So this is it. If you're under 30, stereotypically. God says, this is what I want for your life. And you go, yes. And then he says, hold on. Fifteen years. David, read about him. Miserable. 
He was hunted like a dog for 10 years. He didn't even do anything wrong. And Saul's trying to kill him, literally throwing spears at him because he's jealous. All of that is to say, David, you've been a shepherd of sheep. I've got to make you a leader of a country. And there's a growth, there's a growth curve there. There's some things I've got to do in your heart, and there's some skills you've got to pick up along the way. Let's see if you've got what it takes. Those of you who are younger, don't hear that. Don't be intimidated by that, but know that. Don't quit. Don't quit. Just because it takes a while to get where you feel like God is calling you to be. It will take some time, but he's, he's doing that. That very well may be you're saying, God, I want to see your kingdom come in this area. And he's saying, you're the guy. You're just not the guy yet. It's going to come, I'm going to work through you. You're just not quite there yet. So let's take some time and work on your character and give you some skills. Daniel, three weeks waiting for an answer to prayer. Three weeks is not that long. He didn't eat for three weeks. Waiting on this answer to prayer. There's a spiritual battle going on. It's really weird. Daniel 10, he prays and God sends an angel to answer the prayer. And the devil sends a demon and they fight in the sky or something for three weeks. And then the angel finally gets through when another angel comes to his rescue. All of that is weird, but what it shows to us, sometimes you're saying, God, I want your kingdom to come. There's a spiritual battle for his kingdom to come. Somebody else's kingdom has to go, and he doesn't want it to go. He's defeated but not destroyed. So there's a spiritual battle, and so he wants, are you going to keep asking? Are you going to keep asking? Recognize you have a tenacious enemy who opposes every good thing God wants to do. That is not to scare you. It's just reality. Again, he's already been defeated. He just hasn't been destroyed. So he's got to be swept out so God can step in. Last, Anna, 84 years to see Jesus. a long time. Daily, she's in the temple fasting, worshiping, praying. 84 years of that. Then she sees him. Romans 5, 6 says at just the right time, God sent his son. Two words for time. You know this. Chronos, that's watch time. That's calendar time. You're looking at it right now. That's what we live by. We're driven by a calendar. God doesn't care. He says one of those things is like a thousand of those things to me. It doesn't matter. I'm not a Kronos guy. I'm a Kairos guy. I want to know when things are right. And for the things that we think are really important, we're Kairos people too. When's the right time to propose? When's the right time to have a kid? When's the right time to talk to my boss about a move? We're not talking about time on our watch or what day of the week it is. What we're saying is when, when everything lines up and it feels right. And that's how God works as well. It very well may be that the reason you haven't seen whatever you're wanting to see in that area, the reason his kingdom hasn't come in that area is it's just not right yet. Well, how are you going to know you're not? You don't get to, and neither do I. We only know retrospectively. God's lining things up that we can't, we never see them until we look back and go, oh, that makes, I get it now. And so that's what he wants. Are you going to stick with it? Are you going to continually pray and not give up? It may be a spiritual. I don't know which of those four things it is or something else. Pick one. It doesn't matter. Our response is the same. I'm going to always pray for your kingdom to come. And I'm not going to give up even when it doesn't make sense and I don't see it happening. Because when you come back, I want to be one of the ones who's asking. And I think and I hope you do as well. Let's pray. God, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray for the students. They're just starting.
14, 15, 16 years old, God, I pray that you would speak to them, God. I pray that they would know, this is my spot. Let's just do that for a second. Everybody just in your mind, just ask the Lord, God, where have you planted me? Where have you planted me? Track team, Grace Point, Gaskins, Marietta, Kennesaw, government, single moms. Where have you planted me? Once you get something, it may be something you're thinking about, it may be off your radar. Pray this, if you're willing. God, I want to see your kingdom come in that, fill in the blank. I want you to rule and reign there. And if you're willing, God, I pray I'm opening myself up. You use me however you want. You're the one that brings the kingdom. I don't. It's your reign. It's not mine. But however you want to use me, I'm in. I pray that you would sear in my heart a commitment to pray. And not just to mumble words, but to not lose heart. To believe that you want to step into this area in rule and reign. And I get it, it's not going to be perfect until, you're, until Jesus comes back. But it can absolutely be a whole lot better than it is now. God, I want to pray for any here who have given up. They've lost heart for whatever reason. I pray that the next three minutes you'd reawaken their heart. They would say, God, all right, I shut it down for whatever reason. Hurt or frustration or apathy or lack of belief, whatever. God, my, but, but I'm asking Fan the flame. It's just a flicker. Fan the flame. I want to be somebody who doesn't give up. God, I pray that for them. They can say in their hearts. I want, I want to be somebody who doesn't give up. God, I pray that the prayers that are prayed by the men and women and the students in this room would change the course of history. high schools would be different because men and women in this room and students in this room would say I'm always going to pray I'm going to pray for God's kingdom to come to Hillgrove High School and Marietta High School and Kennesaw Mountain High School and Mount Perrin Christian School I'm going to ask and I'm going to pray for God's kingdom to come to our government and I'm going to pray for God's kingdom to come to my business and to my family God, I pray that you give us a glimpse of the power of 
persistent prayer. And again, God, I pray you would sear in our heart a commitment to ask you to work. In Jesus' name, amen.